D'Artagnan's gone missing and ghosted us, and because the Evil Dead have risen to blow up a pipeline, we're just going to go missing. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show then. More new movies to talk about right now. Um, so we're going to start with something that's brand new, but actually it's got a two-part version that's going to come out yeah. before Christmas, I believe, as well. So if you like this, you haven't got to wait long for the next one. It is The Three Musketeers. Well, it's The Three Musketeers, colon, D'Artagnan. Now, the film actually does, like, it brings up The Three Musketeers, like, straight off the bat, and then, like, a minute later or a few minutes after, like, after the sort of first real action set piece, uh, then brings up, like, part one, D'Artagnan. Now, it turns out there is a part two, Milady, coming six months behind this. So, as you say, it's meant to be later this year. That's the official release date, the official, like, global release i'm not sure if that's actually gonna affect like us here in the uk like if that comes out around the same time if it's early next year but it's coming anyway yeah now to explain this is effectively the classic story of alexandre dumas the three musketeers uh, told for the screen kind of the same way it has before um it's now a french movie it's the first french movie to do this in i think it's 62 years I, I might be getting my either 62 or 65 62 years and the big change here seems to be that they've decided to go Christopher Nolan with it and because they've gone Christopher Nolan with it they've also sort of filmed two movies side by side to tell the complete story of the Musketeers and there's sort of a, a 10 minute overlap on the front half so you get 10 minutes at the end at the end of this that seems to be the first 10 minutes of the next movie that also work as a cliffhanger the big stars for this version are that you've got Ava Green as uh, as as the lady de winter and you've got uh, what's his name Oh, oh God! It's it's going to come to me now. Hang on, oh, I'm going to have to look it up. Up comes it's, the IMDb. It, it's always, it's always. I was going to say, I was going to say Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell as uh, as Athos, right. and so they are the two big stars here. There's not really any sort of big star talent like in on a, on the international stage outside of that. They they are the big stars here. Uh, but other than that, you've got a, a pretty kind of. Yeah, well to typecast save for maybe d'artagnan himself who is really miscast like oh, this no. is going this is going for that christopher nolan batman begins tone which now to be fair i'm here for like if you want to throw like a christopher nolan version of three musketeers at me like take my money please like, I'm the first guy in line. I, I'm sure I've mentioned to you at some point in all these years of working together, one of my favourite movies ever is uh, 1993's The Three Musketeers, the Disney one with Chris O'Donnell and Charlie Sheen, Keeper Sutherland, and and, and Oli- uh, Oliver Platt and, and, and Tim Curry. And just, just an amazing cast. And the Brian Adams theme song with Rod Stewart and Sting. You know, it's so wonderfully crap. You have to love that version of Three Musketeers. I love it forever. I'm doing a thing next week. Uh, I'm introing a screening of uh, of Event Horizon. I have to talk about the career of Paul W.S. Anderson. He did a version of Three Musketeers in 2011 with his wife, um, uh, Mila Jovovich, as Milady de Winter. I, I see every version 
of, of Three Musketeers. I can't help myself. I love this story. And some of them are just complete pap. But you will go back and watch them again because it's the Three Musketeers, damn it. It's just an awesome, awesome story. And this is one of those that, on the surface, has that Nolan thing going for it, but on the other hand, has an almost Paul Verhoeven Starship Troopers thing, but not the smart version going for it. Like, it feels like kind of a, a wrong-headed Paul Verhoeven version, like the unironic Paul Verhoeven version of this at times. And you definitely get that in your uh, your leading man, uh, Francois Seville, who plays, uh, plays D'Artagnan, definitely. Uh, there's certain plot twists and things as well that I, I I was I'm not sure if they actually are closer to the novel. If I'm really honest, because in all the versions I've I've seen of the movie, I've never read the novel. Like, how find me a person who can genuinely claim to have read Alexandre Dumas' Three Musketeers, and I'll find you a person who I'm, I'm guessing might be blacking. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I, have you ever actually met anyone who's read War and Peace? You know what I mean? No, no. Yeah, you know what I mean? I I think I think that's just a lie told at cocktail parties. <laughs> like, I think it might be. Well, I mean, I, I, if I'm honest, full disclosure here, I've seen yeah. none of the Three Musketeers. If I'm to tell the truth, the only thing I remember is being about five yeah. years old watching Dog Tanyan as a cartoon. Oh, Oh, but first of all, bro, D'Artagnan. Hashtag D'Artagnan for the win. I love D'Artagnan. When is yeah, that getting right. when is that getting rebooted? Like all yeah, these reboots, these reboots coming left and right. Where is D'Artagnan? When is that when is when is D'Artagnan's time, man? When? Uh, that needs to happen. That badly needs to, like I remember a couple of years ago they were talking about doing a, they came close to doing a banana man. Uh, reboot for this one. Oh, that'd be brilliant. It didn't, it didn't have that. It was going to be about 2015, I think, something like that. There's actually a teaser poster and everything for a, a modern Banana Man. Um, so come on, make make uh, Dog Tanyan happen. Absolutely. This, two hours, one minute, or I think it's about just a, just a hair over two hours. It works. It captures a bit of that sort of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves vibe because because it can't resist some of the goofier elements of the story of the Three Musketeers, but at the same time it is trying for the grittiness of a Christopher Nolan movie, it lands halfway in the middle, and that just happens to be kind of around Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but nowhere near as good. Oh. So if you go in for, like, if we think of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as being like a four-star movie, and we call this a three... How, how how would that work for you on the expectation scale? Yeah, okay, that makes that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah I yeah, get that. I'll go with that. Okay, is so, this something that someone like me though that hasn't seen any Three Musketeers movies could d jump straight into and, and yeah, understand? Yeah, C complete like franchise lore mythology do over like they're doing the whole musket like Christopher Nolan did the whole Batman story in three movies. This is yeah. the Three Musketeers is being done in two, and this does end on a cliffhanger. So you do have to come back and see, you know, Three Musketeers, colon, Milady. You know, in, in six to nine months or whatever it's going to be. It's quite clever how they've done what you said, where the last ten minutes of this one is the first ten minutes of the second part, which will be out just before Christmas. Why do you think they've done that and not just done two different movies released a year apart? 
I'll tell you why, Adam. I suspect very heavily it might be because by this stage we've got a generation of filmmakers who are at least of the ages of you and I, who grew up on the cliffhanger ending of Back to the Future 2 and found themselves clinging to their armchairs for months, nay years at a time, begging their parents when. When can I know what happened to Doc Brown? And they know how to milk an audience. I think that's what it is. And to be fair, I can't fault them. This, if you think about it, like in, t- in the modern parlance, if we think of the ultimate, like, sort of uh, franchise series bridging device really is the Lord of the Rings mechanism, which is just, just stop. Just stop at a sort of natural chapter marker. Like, even Peter mm. Jackson couldn't replicate that when he did the Hobbit movies, when he did the Hobbit prequel ones. Now, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, I always thought worked quite organically as well, even if I don't particularly like the ending of The Dark Knight, which I know is not really a, an especially hot take, and maybe just makes me a bit edgelord at times, which <laughs> is ironic given my general stance with DC. But, um, you know, I always thought that the actual endings of the Nolan ones, they worked quite well. Here, I would say it's sort of a bit more like Back to the Future 2. It is that sort of, I've got to go back to the past and rescue Doc. But how am I going to do that? Oh, look, here's a telegram from the past to be continued. This is very much more in that Back to the Future vein than either of those examples, which is, I think it would sit sort of halfway, uh, halfway in the middle. If you like a bit of swashbuckling fun, though, yes, this has got it going on. Like, there's some inventive camera stuff in here. There's some fun, there's some energy, there's some wit. Uh, Romain Dupree is uh, Aramis, I think, who's always the fun uh, musketeer to to sort of see done because he's like, you know, your Charlie Sheen one. He's your Lothario. He's your your Jeremy Irons, if we're going with the man in the iron mask kind of approach. I I liked this. Even, Even as a sort of, you know, Three Musketeers movie nerd, I really enjoyed this. I had, a, I had a good time with this. I can't wait to see what part two is going to be like. I think when they're done together, it's going to be interesting to see this done as like one very complete epic musketeer tale. So get on board with this now because if part two is anywhere near as good as this, I think we're in for a wild ride. Well, there you have it. If you want to see it, uh, it is out in cinemas from today. We are going to be back in just a moment. Uh, two to look at in a second. Sick of myself and... Chris Evans is ghosted in just a minute, so stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back. So two more new movies to talk about here. Uh, We're going to talk about Sick of Myself in just a second. But first, let's talk about Ghosted, which is starring Chris Evans. You've seen it. I haven't. What did you make of it? Well, okay, so Ghosted, which is a new movie uh, directed by Dexter Fletcher. You know Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle, who did you know, oh, yeah. Eddie the Eagle a few years ago, um, came, sort of came out of the Guy Ritchie school, really. Even though he'd sort of come up on, on, on British Tally, became part of the early Guy Ritchie crew and was the first one really sort of break out on his own, uh, sort of established himself as a, as a director. And I mean, I think he's doing uh, Sherlock Holmes 3 next, but uh, definitely uh, Eddie the Eagle and Rocket Man. I believe are, are his big, his big hallmarks oh. at this stage. Now, this is him working for Apple TV Plus. Now, this is this is one of those things. Uh, I, you know, I'll save it for when we get there. This stars, this stars Anna Diarmis and, and Chris Evans. So Anna Diarmis from uh, Knives Out, you know, from Blonde, from uh, No Time to Die. You know, Anna Diarmis, stunning, yep. yeah, stunning actress, beautiful. Be- be- her voice can reduce you to mere rubble. Right, okay. 
She is uh, a young lady who has a sort of a meat cute, like a rom com style meat. You know what a meat cute is? No, I've never heard that phrase before. It's, ever. it's the it's the it's the convention of the rom com where you know he he's clumsy and drops something, and she drops something at the same time, and they bend down to pick it up, and they bump heads at yes, the same time. Okay. And it's it's called a meat cute. It's the kind of thing that only happens in a rom com, right? Oh, yeah. okay. But believe me, they don't exist because if you believe in them, they will destroy your life and you have to go to therapy for a very, very long time. Anyway, I, not to get too personal or anything, man. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so, she has a meet cute. This, this, this glamorous Anna Diarmas type has a meet cute with Chris Evans, a human being who looks like Chris Evans. And uh, and sounds like Chris Evans and and behaves like Chris Evans. And let me guess, but, they're both single, right? They are both single. He is a hunky farmer who has had to move back to his family's farm because his his, his dad's had a bit of an incident with with his heart with his ticker and can't run the family business and he has to take over. And he's a loyal, dutiful son and farmer, but he looks and behaves like Chris Evans. Anyway, they have a perfect date together and then she ghosts him. And uh, he, he, he can't quite process why, because they had the perfect date together. And so he realizes that he left a key fob, a tracking device key fob on her, realizes that it's in London and that she goes away and works away sometimes, decides to go and surprise her. And um, yeah, there's a surprise waiting for him. Have a listen. See, you get it. It's a grand romantic gesture. Yeah, that is amazing, mate. 5,000 miles to surprise a girl that you've only met once, especially if she's the one who ghosted you. No, no, she didn't ghost me. She just doesn't have an international calling plan. Oh, right. Where am I? Oh, God, do you have the wrong guy? I'm a former. Wait, wait. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Can you walk, Gold? Wow, that's um, that's sucked me in. I really want to see this from that because you know you just know where where well you don't know where this is going to go, but you just know that stuff's going to happen as soon as he says, "Oh yeah, no, she didn't ghost me. She just didn't have an international calling account." Like, uh, yeah, 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 right. It's... Oh, God, right. We've all been the, there. The, right. The the movie is at its best when it's doing that. Actually, the movie is at its best when it's doing the cringe stuff. Um, it's worth noting. It's it, it's a bizarrely put together movie at times, and it's very indicative of this current era of cinema in which we find ourselves. This cinematic universe, algorithmically driven era of content rather than cinema, an era in which you you can feel with this movie in particular, every single facet of every single character has been chosen by an algorithm for what is going to pop, rather than what particularly makes sense when it's all strung together. I mean, you've got a, a, a rom-com here, like an action rom-com in which Chris Evans is at once both an everyman likable dude slash farmer, but at the same time also capable of going toe-to-toe with a ninja. I mean, it's that sort of a level. You see where I'm coming from there? 
So do you mean as in it's not realistic enough because of that? Like it wouldn't really happen? It can't pick a tone and stick with it. It's bonkers. However, it's so delightfully bonkers and it's so, you know, wildly frenetic in how hard it runs in each opposing direction of what it fancies doing at any given moment, based on presumably what the algorithm has told it to do, that you can't help but admire its gusto and get into the absolute carnage of it. It's nuts. It's deranged. It makes no damn sense whatsoever. But it's kind of just amusing in a really daft sense while it's doing it. And you can't object to that. I will say, though, Anna Diarmis is really miscast in this. Um, I'm reasonably sure what Adrian Brody is doing in it is technically racist in, in 2023. Really? It must technically be racist. I'm, I'm sure. It's, it's cultural appropriation at the very least, honestly. Um, and then you've got Chris Evans, King of Charm. King of Charm, Chris Evans, just carrying this whole thing aloft. And you're just like, do you know what? Fair play. That man is this era's Kurt Russell. He really is. Time is time is going to prove me right that he is this era's Kurt Russell. And, uh, you know, so that's it. It's a three-star movie. It's this quarter's, you know, middle-of-the-road, made-for-streaming-A-list, star, spy, rom-com. Uh, this one's fine it's three stars maybe three and a half and a push could but be good for a date I mean, when you watch at home it's an apple tv plus one this one this is not really for cinemas this is at home so this is like if you're watching if you're watching new episodes of ted lasso you have access to this you know what i mean <laughs> brilliant all right well that's called ghosted if you want to make your own mind up on that one um next then sick of myself so talk to me about this then what's this about <laughs> Mate, this one is twisted. This one is really twisted. It looks a bit right. twisted with the synopsis, to be fair. Okay, so new movie uh, written and directed by uh, Christopher Borley. Um, this is a, I think it's a Norwegian black comedy about a young woman whose boyfriend is, uh, they're a young couple, like late 20s, early 30s, I would say. Uh, he is an uh, a furniture artist. He literally makes art out of sort of reclaimed furniture and things. Makes these revolutionary, very hipster kind of pieces. And he's just starting to get noticed in his career and break out. And she starts to react really toxically to this, and starts to resent him for the attention he's getting. Ooh. She she then has a moment where she fakes. This is all subtitled, by the way, so no clip. She then has a moment where she fakes a nut allergy at a dinner party and sort of gets called out on it by accident and manages to go through it, but then finds herself looking into you know, allergy medications and things like that, so she knows the future, and discovers that there's a drug that can give you side effects if you take too much of it and it's being taken off the market. A drug that she then sources through a black market contact and takes intentionally in order to give herself the side effects that have taken this thing off the shelves so that she can elicit sympathy as effectively a celebrity survivor as a as a celebrity sort of burn and welt survivor and she starts to ride the waves of viral influencer fandom proving herself a sort of an orthodox model Going through all of this, just mining more and more sympathy out of people, this, this toxic leech that she is, as it literally corrodes her from the inside out. Um, it is absolutely nuts. 
I I don't even know where to begin with this one. I this was a la- we weren't going to cover this. I'm going to be really honest. We weren't going to cover this initially, and the, the link came through at the last moment. And I thought, well, I I, I owe the publicist. You know, they're, they're good people. I I got I got to cover it. We, we'll squeeze it in. Thank God we did. Oh my God, this is so twisted. I love it. I will watch it a thousand times, sir. I mean. I know you don't like a subtitled movie, but you've got to see this. They're never going to remake this in the English language. It's too messed up. But you've got to see this. It's so good. So uh, this is Sick of Myself. It's it's really biting. It's really cutting. It's it's about the most talk. It's the American psycho of the influencer generation, uh, of the of the Washington Post generation, of the BuzzFeed generation. You've got to watch this. It is so much fun. It made me think of things like Serial Mom, of Jawbreaker. I loved this. Absolutely wonderful. Like I say, uh, Sick of Myself. I think it was called The Sick Girl in its original tongue, but Sick of Myself uh, when it's translated for English. It is out today. You have got to see this, sir. So out today in the cinema? Out today in the cinema. you you got to see it. Great. Okay. No, that, that I mean, when you say to me something is absolutely crazy, sick, and brilliant, well, I mean, I've got to watch it, haven't I? You can't, <laughs> sick I can't and brilliant, not watch yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, all right, so we are back in a moment. We've got two more to talk about. Uh, <laughs> How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is the strangest title of a movie I've probably seen in a while, and Evil Dead Rise, two that Van yeah. has seen, and we will see what he thought of them both in a minute. So stay right where you are. Now it's time for a segment we like to call Offscreen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. What's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. And, you know, thankfully, our rent's getting paid this week by the good people at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. So skip trips to the grocery store. No jaunt to Tesco for us on this one. And count on HelloFresh instead to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh will keep your taste buds on their toes. There's over 40 recipes, over 100 seasonal convenience items to choose from every single week there's so so much variety and you know there's there's quick and easy options too so you can you can try things like their fast and fresh pineapple chicken tacos which i can vouch for they are awesome falafel power bowls things like you can make all things like this in less than 15 minutes i've used HelloFresh for years myself i'm a really really big fan there's green chef as well one of the sister companies i've used big fan of them as well the chicken tacos man the chicken tacos you just you, you wouldn't believe and best Best of all, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash Offscreen50, use the code Offscreen50, and you can get 50% off. Plus, your first box ships for free. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Offscreen50, or just go to HelloFresh and use the code Offscreen50, say for 50% off, and first box ships for free. So HelloFresh, get on it, eat up, eat hearty. It's America's number one meal kit for a reason. So, hello and welcome back. Two more brand new movies to talk about now. Um, we're going to talk about how to blow up a pipeline in a second. First, though, Evil Dead Rise, which drew me in, actually, from the synopsis where it says, it's a twisted tale of two estranged sisters whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons. I mean, that's the bit that hooks you in and not the words evil dead because that's the bit that suckers me in, son. Oh, oh I love me an evil dead movie. Uh, do you know what? I, t- 
10-year-old Van. 10-year-old Van right now in the back of my mind is just whooping and cheering in the deep, dark chasm of my subconscious because his love of the evil dead has existed until near his fourth decade on the planet. And he's gotten to, he's gotten to actually review an evil dead movie for, I think, the second time in his professional career. Because I did, I did the remake like eight, nine years ago, something like that. An Evil Dead movie, like this yeah. is this is this is the stuff childhood dreams are made of. The Evil Dead is back. I adore the Evil Dead series. I grew up during the Video Nasties period. You know the, you know Kermode during the Kermode versus the BBFC and the Video Nasties and Evil Dead stuff in the nineties. You know I love uh, Bruce Campbell in uh, Army of Darkness, nineteen ninety three's uh, Evil Dead Three, Army of Darkness. Um, I was there. I remember seeing the remake uh, of Evil Dead, the twenty thirteen remake. With which black guy, uh, Fede Alvarez, who went on to do Don't Breathe. Uh, but I think it was in 2013, and it was the same day that I saw Iron Man 3 for the first time. I saw the two movies back to back. I saw Evil Dead first and Iron Man 3. Obviously, I prioritized Iron Man 3 that day because that's my personal, spiritual, cultural touchstone. Because that that's why we, we have therapists. And uh, but Evil Dead, you know, near and dear to my heart. This is not so much a sequel to that remake, so much as it is a continuation of, in a sense, like, in the way that that movie just said, you know, the same stuff can just happen. This kind of does the same thing. So the idea is here, we've got the Evil Dead format taking place in a different location for the very first time. You've got, rather than uh, the isolated cabin of the Sam Raimi movies and of the, the 2013 remake, you've now got inner city Los Angeles apartment blocks. You're like, you know, uh, you know uh, substandard, like, you know, lower class accommodation apartment blocks. And, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know Daryl, what do you call them? Uh, cowboy landlord type places. And you've got a wayward sister who's been away touring with uh, with her band, very millennial type, very jaded, sort of out of it, not really connecting with the world, who comes home to see her sort of estranged sister and her sister's kids at the time that an earthquake hits L.A. and happens to unearth within their apartment building a certain, let's just say, flesh-bound book from the apartment structure. A book that, when read aloud, may cause some bad things to happen. Have a listen. It was a perfect day, and all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and climb inside your body so that we could stay one happy family. Well, that's made me hungry. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one of those movies that I said don't go for an Italian before or after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, right? You you know me as a person, sir. I'm I'm geared towards the Evil Dead. It's, it's oh, yeah. one of my cultural touchstones. I live for an Evil Dead movie. Evil Dead Two: Dead by Dawn is, for my money, probably the finest horror movie ever made. Like, or it's up there with, you know, a couple of the Carpenter Cronenberg ones of like sort of 80s childhood 
obsession. But the Evil Dead is so such such a touchstone that you 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 kind of hold it near and dear. It's like I watched the 30th anniversary Power Rangers special this week, and you you cling to the naffness. Sometimes you're like, I wouldn't want it to not be naff, because then it's not the thing I love. Does it make um, you more critical? Well, the thing with Evil Dead is, as time and production technology has moved on, the Evil Dead has become more and more disgusting. And this is now, like I say, don't go for an Italian meal before you watch this. This is really harrowing stuff. Dude, you're never going to look at a cheese grater the same way your whole <laughs> life after you see this movie. I know I won't. I don't. I, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm ordering a taco again. If I'm honest, <laughs> like ever. Do you want cheese? No, no. Is it grated? No, please. Like <clears throat> it's going to be one of those. Like I don't. I I, I don't think I'm going to be able to deal with cheese grits for a long, long time after this movie. Um, it's it's one of those. Like it's 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 an Evil Dead movie. It's wonderfully captured. It's grisly. It's nasty. It's horrible. It's wince-inducing. But at the same time, and I will say this: um, Lily Sullivan. Uh, plays uh, plays Beth in this. Who plays the uh, the sort of wayward sister, the younger of the two, uh, you know, the one who's been the rock band's been away. Um, I, I I really loved uh, the character, the sort of level of character development they afforded her here. I think in light of what the series has done to date, I think this was a huge step forward. I wish it had applied to more of the cast, like more of the supporting cast had been a bit more developed in line with the sister. There's, to an extent, as you can hear in the clip, there's the possessed older sister to deal with as well. Now, there's some development you get there in that sort of an exorcist-y kind of a way, but you're never really sure what's true and what isn't kind of a thing. And I wish there was slightly more character development there. Having said that, there isn't a minute of wasted screen time. This is like a 95 in and out, you know, job well done. Kind of That's what you want, yeah, good. Exactly. And Lee Cronin, who did uh, The Hole in the Ground uh, 2019, which I remember actually watching the screening link for in my Airbnb the day after the Oscars uh, in, I think, 2019. I think I came back from New York, did the Oscars, and then watched that screening link in the, hotel, in the Airbnb, so in the hotel, the Airbnb the following morning. And really loving it. And, uh, and you know, to be to be fair, yes, this is this is that Mike Flanagan level step up. This guy has something. The serious horror chops here, rock on, big fan. Well, if you want to watch Evil Dead Rise, it is in cinemas from today. Okay, now let's talk about how to blow up a pipeline, which is also in cinemas from today. Now I'm assuming <laughs> that this has nothing to do with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what happened with the pipeline, with the gas and all that. I mean, this is this is just a coincidence, right? No, and what a sentence to hear today. Let's crack on with how to blow up a pipeline. Yeah! You know, <laughs> I think I expect to have you yell at me today, mate. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, right. So, um, new movie uh, from uh, director, writer-director uh, Daniel Coldhaber. Now, I believe... This is, if I'm remembering this correctly, this is based on a non-fiction book or article, but has then been fictionalized for the screen. So I think in non-fiction form, it's a what would happen if. Right. And for the screen, it's uh, fictionalized. This is what happens when they, you know, as a narrative. And the idea is of disenfranchised youths who, for 
different reasons relating to housing, relating to the local economy, relating to treatment by uh, local government, things like that, uh, find themselves falling in line with effectively environmental terrorism. Hence the title, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, because they find themselves setting out on a mission to literally blow up a natural gas pipeline. Now, I've got a clip for you, and this will set the actually quite Sicario-like tone that this goes for. Listen, if I touch or even jostle this primer too much, it could detonate. I need you to take this, stand 20 yards back. If anything goes wrong, then uh, don't come in unless I tell you to, unless you see fire. Don't come in, got it. Is that it? Is that the best clip they've got? I know it's not exactly one that's going to put you on the edge of your you know, your, your, your couch. Like I got I got to go and see that movie, Van. Thank you. Yeah, it's not really doing me any favors. I agree, but uh, you know the options. And look, we don't really get like options to pick from with all these. Movies. Yeah, I know that's true. Like one, there's only one clip. You'd over. think they would have chosen a better clip, though, would you not? Yeah, I know, but the things I could do that, for some reason, movie publicists in some cases choose not to do is bizarre to me. Anyway, let's go with the good on this. Right, Marcus Scribner. From, do you watch TV's Blackish? Have you ever seen Blackish, Adam? No. No, what's that? Right. I, I love Blackish. It stars Anthony Anderson. It's like it's Cosby Show-like sitcom about an upper-middle-class African-American family. Uh, I, I really love it. It's got Marcus Scribner plays Junior on it, and he plays one of the kids here, and he's just a whole other level to him. Like This is like quite insightful, nuanced, you know, dramatic a turn from him. I also, and I, I kind of expect this of her because I saw her in American Honey, and I've seen her a couple of movies since, and she's always very good in them. Sasha Lane as well, I actually think it's very good in this. Um, directorially, I think it's got the goods. I think it, it, it delivers a powerful turn. I think it's script and its pacing could do with a, a bit of a kick up the jacksy, if I'm being really honest. Like, it, it, it's one of those movies, it, it clocks in at, at only... Um, I think it's uh, 105, 104, 105. So let's say hour 44, hour 45, right? Okay. But it's one of those that you do feel has crossed the two-hour threshold. Like, it's it's slightly laboured. It's one of those that you just like, I don't know how it's laboured, but it's. I can tell you've taken clearly a couple extra beats here and there and you need to cut that out because this is just going on too long. It's definitely one of those. Uh, Sicario It Ain't, however, definitely goes in directions I didn't think it would. Uh, definitely some dramatic turns that I found myself a lot more invested in than I thought I would otherwise. It has narrative stretches that it takes in almost like a, a 90s Doug Lyman kind of way where it hops perspectives and things like that where the movie is staged chapters, for instance, from the perspective of different characters. I quite like that about it. Um, I, I would just say I don't think it's going to be an all-round box-ticking crowd-pleaser. It's one of those that I think is going to be for people who really enjoyed Sicario. 
Okay, well, there you go. You can make your own mind up. It is in cinemas from today, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. So we've got one more new movie to look at uh, <laughs> this week. I'm quite looking forward to hearing Van's take on it. We're going to talk about Missing, which is out in cinemas from today in just a minute. So stay there. Hello and welcome back for our final new movie to talk about this week. Uh, so, Missing. Talk to you about this, Van. I mean, I've already read the synopsis. I won't give it away. I'll let you do it all because you've seen it. But just the synopsis has made me go, do you know what? Yeah, I'd give this a go. <clears throat> so it's the uh, the first movie from uh, Nick Johnson and Will Merrick, uh, directors. And uh, this is... It's, it, I want to describe it as a semi-sequel even though it actually does take place in the same universe as and does outwardly acknowledge the events of the 2018 movie Searching. Now, did you ever see Searching? I, I think we may have reviewed... We may go back far enough together that we actually reviewed it together. One yeah, time. it does ring a bell. Now, Searching was what they call a screen life thriller in which everything we see on the screen is what the characters see on the screen. So we see the, the story as depicted by their MacBook screen, for instance, or their iPhone screen. Uh, Modern Family did it for a couple episodes. Uh, obviously, Searching was kind of the biggie. But they are generally called screen life thrillers. That one in particular starred John Cho as a father searching for his missing daughter, going into her you know, background via social media and email and things like that, tracing her backstory, things like that. Um, what we now have is a sequel that, well, is, we have a follow-up story that takes, it's a sequel in the way that Final Destination movies are sequels. You know what I mean? Right, it, it yeah. Just, it, it just, it's the same thing seemingly happening in another, in another, in the same universe, but to another set of characters. It, it's one of those things. Right, so this stars Storm Reed, who is a young, uh, a young teenage, uh, teenage high school student whose mum goes away, whose uh, widowed mum goes away on vacation with her sort of, you know, relatively new boyfriend. And, you know, they're having the big romantic getaway. And the teenage girl, you know, sort of stages a reunion at the airport, only for mum and boyfriend to then not show up. And the story that we get played out through screen life this time is, instead of parents searching for a missing child, it's, child searching for missing parent slash missing parent's boyfriend and this involves her for instance like hiring a local contractor in I think it might be Columbia offhand um, like via Fiverr or whatever the local equivalent of Fiverr is like getting him on board like we communicate with him via FaceTime call through the screen life medium and things like that and, you know every time the local cop calls it pops up on screen via the FaceTime notification so you get the full mystery thriller literally from the confines of your desk seat have a listen hi this is Grace Allen please leave a message mom where are you guys my mom never came home from her trip I don't know where she is I'm calling about a guest you had um does anyone speak English uh, I'm sorry this is Elijah Park. Please, I need your help. The FBI doesn't have jurisdiction to investigate in Colombia. So is there anything I can do? The best thing you can do to help us is just wait by your phone. Hey, hi, Mommy. <laughs> hi, Junebug. I'm not giving up on my mom. See, now, the premise sounds good. 
The one thing I would be concerned about having not seen it is if you are seeing this through, like you say, the screen, you're seeing everything through there, computer or phone or whatever it might be. Yeah. Does that not limit it slightly? Does it not make it two dimensional? No. It, now, the, the weird thing is, searching proved this in 2018, you can more than make a decent thriller out of this. Uh, we had, we saw it done um, a couple of months ago with, what was the dissident one, about the the, uh, the female journalist who was going undercover uh, to investigate uh, women being groomed by ISIS. And it was done the same way. It starred Shahzad Latif from Star Trek Discovery. The name escapes me, but that was one. You and I definitely reviewed that. I remember telling you, like, keep an eye on this one. This one's good, like, this will gain traction years to come. Mm. Now, to be fair, Searching was five years ago, and that hasn't really gained traction. I I hope it does. Like, I do hope that history does kind of prove me right on that, because this is a genre that I think can be utilised a lot more cleverly than comparatively the found footage genre was for horror. And it's it's directly comparable. But the difference here is that I think it's easier to manipulate screen life storytelling than it is found footage in a sense because you actually have to stage found footage. Whereas, you know, screen life, you can do whatever. I very much enjoyed Searching. Searching was a four-star, pulse-pounding you know, white knuckle, fist in mouth thriller, anchored by a really great performance from John Cho. Now, here you've got Storm Reed, who is not as good, not as great as John Cho. She's very good, though. She's she's very good. And she's good enough that she manages to just about maintain the four-star standard of that first movie. Um... There's like there's there's very loose connections between searching and missing, and I will say it, it's very much a case of look what you liked about the first one is back here. I really loved the first one, and I think the elements that it chose to keep and what it chose to ditch were exactly the right ones. There's not a lot of sequels that make the good calls that this one has. And I think it has led to a sort of an unlikely, quite fun thriller series. This won't continue as cinematic films. This will continue. You'll see more of these, but I think you'll see them as cinema as as made for streaming cinematic offerings. I think there's like Netflix, kind of Amazon Prime movies out of this. But like, do watch this. This is really good. This has got some great performances. A lot of them are not above your sort of TV CSI grade performances outside of maybe Storm Reed. Uh, and Joaquin D'Almeida. I'll never sell Joaquin D'Almeida short. Like, Joaquin D'Almeida is my boy. He's the, the bad guy from Desperado in 95. You remember uh, Desperado with Hopkins? Uh, yeah, in I know. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, bad guy in Fast Five slash Jason Momoa's dad in Fast X this summer. So that's one for the, the mythos nerds out there, if you were in there. So, you know, peep uh, Joaquin Delmeida on uh, IMDb because he's going to become relevant to the Fast and Furious franchise again. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed this a lot, to be fair. Did not expect to. Like, I I, I, I really thought, like, come on, how, how are you going to make a sequel to this? It seems like a, a real cash-in. Um, I've seen... 
schlock disconnected made for dvd kind of sequels before you know if you've ever seen things like uh, mirrors 2 and you know whenever they've attempted to do things with the lost boys stuff like that i've seen my share of these uh i'll always know what you did last summer stuff like that this is not that this is something a lot closer thematically connected I, I liked this a lot, and I think it does match the pedigree of the first one. So it's called Missing. It is the semi-sequel to Searching, and it's out today. Okay. I will give it a go on that recommendation. That I'm not going to be disappointed because it is all through a screen, which was the only thing that was uh, concerning me slightly. So, yeah, as you say, Missing is... Quite a long-winded answer. Today. I'm sorry. <laughs> quite all right it's all in the detail van it's all in the detail so um next week then uh we've got the unlikely pilgrimage of harold fry have you seen that yet no, no i've not seen it yet i'm seeing it uh monday i think this is the one with uh jim broadbent and you're just like oh come on jim broadbent's doing an old-timey pensioner feel-good dramedy so i'll just i'll, I'll get the tissues when i get into euston Shall I? Is that how this is going to work? As soon, soon as the train gets, I'll just, just buy my tissues there at the Boots, the chemist. Shall I? And we'll we'll move from there, just, just accordingly. Because I think we know how this is going to go. Cheers, Jim. Time to pay the mortgage, <laughs> was it? Um, also, we're going to talk about what I'm guessing is not about a lean, mean grilling machine. Big George Foreman. It is not. Would you believe in a season of cinema that has given us, that has given us uh, a Tetris movie, that has given us a movie about Air Jordans, that has that is soon to give us a movie about bloody blackberries, that yeah. Big George Foreman is not about a grill and he's actually about the <laughs> I mean, come on! That's, that's just oh. sporting. That's just, that's, that's flying in the face of convention. They're not though. joining in. Like that better be something awesome. If you're going to buck with convention that hard, that that better be something really awesome. That's all I'm saying. I'm guessing it's going to be about his his uh, boxing career, right? I I presume it is. It's a documentary about uh, about George Foreman. Yeah, I'm going to cut you off for the next one because I don't think we are going to kill a polite society uh, next week. I think there's been some there's been some shtick kind of thing about that. I think that's maybe being catered to the Bollywood reporter crowd a bit too heavily. Like they were like, we, we, we can't let you into that one, but we can show you at a different time. Like, yeah, I, I just had a schedule gap. Okay, cool. Oh um, dear. Right. Meanwhile, right. meanwhile. Oh, I, I, it's not a personal thing, really. We, we, we're good. We're good. I think it was just a, you know, I'm not a Bollywood reporter thing, which is Right, fine. okay. Fair enough. Uh, so, we've also got the documentary next week. Little Richard, I am everything. And now, I don't know very much about Little Richard, actually. And I didn't realise that until I until I wrote that down. But think about it. Do you know very much about Little Richard? Um, wasn't he a musician? Well, I mean, he was. And we know, we know some of his classic songs. And we know, like, what he looks like and how he moved. And we know the classic clips. That's about but all I, I know. But that's it. But we don't know the we don't know the story there. There is no story there that we've been told. So, like, that's got to be something, right? He comes up in is is it the movie Ray? I think Ray Charles's biopic. Ray, yeah, I think he comes up in that. Yeah, I'm like, I feel like I should know more about Little Richard. So we're gonna find out next week in uh, Little Richard. I am everything, and 
Do you know what? It's always a good day when Curzon got a new flick out. I love Curzon. I got so, so much time for Curzon. They purvey in almost exclusively in foreign language films. Rodeo is out next week. And I'm I'm even gonna look it up because I just love a Curzon movie. I I know for a fact if I'm having a crap week and there's a Curzon movie out, I save that movie for last, sir. It's always a link, right? And I save it for the last one that I watch in the week. Because I know, no matter what it is, it's going to be the best possible goddamn version. If it's a rom-com, it's just the happiest, you know, commiest, cheeriest, rommiest of rom-coms. If it's a drama, it's the most dramatic, the most... I, I love a, I love a Curzon release, and I always save them for last. So I'm going to keep that traditional. I'm saving Rodeo for last this next week. So we got that to look forward to next week as well. Well, be interesting to hear what you think of that one. Uh, that is all we have time for this week on Off Screen. We will see you next week. I'm Alf Bin Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>